0: take ownership podcast where we're all about taking ownership of your mental your economics and your community i am joined today by will toms again ceo and creative chief uh, chief creative officer of rec philly um i've known will for a minute now uh the philly Philly scene brings people together um and there rec philly has literally been bringing people together for quite a while now so i will hop right into it man um So let's flow. Today's topic is scaling from my couch. Um, Will, I think, is uniquely qualified to talk about this because not only has, of course, he built Rec Philly with his uh, co-founder, Dave, into an amazing physical business. Um, A lot of their work has been digital and been building a community online. Um, And they've had to dive deeper into that stuff over the last few months. So I really wanted him to speak to you all about his experience doing it. You know, I've let him know already, like there's entrepreneurs that are that are in the game now, deep in it. There are, you know, new entrepreneurs on the call, and then there's, there are aspiring folks as well that want to get involved in entrepreneurship more. So, you know, he knows that. He's, he's uh, you know, ready to go and give you insights on his journey, not just where he is now, because I know the whole idea here is to point at incremental growth. How can we get there, too, as a group? Start off by introducing myself. For folks that have been to the first three episodes, you've seen this before, this slide before, you've heard this spiel before, but again, I'm Ofo, uh, CEO and founder of Who's Your Landlord, wyl.co. The whole goal is to empower and to inform the rental community through landlord reviews, housing literacy content, and through software for developers to better engage their residents. Um, Prior to that, this is is my second business, prior to that, I was founder of a company called Intact. It was a brand development firm um, out in Philly, and I started out when I was in college at Temple University. Randomly, I got into acting and modeling as well out there. So I've done stuff with, uh, you know, Nike, with Facebook. um, Been on, you know, uh, been on the Today Show a bunch of times. Been on in Fashion Week a bunch of times. So uh, all that makes me me. uh, The key thing you'll learn about me is I I I don't care what it is as long as I can find myself having passion about it and I feel good at it. I'll go do it. So that's one thing to highlight. And with that, I'm gonna throw it over to Will because I want Will to introduce himself, tell you a bit about Rec Philly, where it started, where it's at today. Um, and you'll hear through his story, you know, just why I think he's a brilliant dude, doing great work, um, and also, again, community, bringing people together always. So we'll I'll throw it to you,
1: man. Uh, thank you, Ofo. And first, man, I'm just really honored to be here. I appreciate you guys having me share my story and my journey, um, and, and, you know, to be talking to you, like, like you mentioned, someone I've known for years, someone I call a friend, and, you know, an entrepreneur I really respect. Um, it just feels good to be able to, to be here and sharing. Um, so yeah, as, as mentioned, my name is Will Tyrone Toms. I am the co-founder, chief creative officer of an organization called REC. And in Philadelphia, we go by REC Philly. And um, essentially, you know, what we do is really wrapped around this one idea. And it's, it's about what does it look like to create an ecosystem to empower creative people to do more of what they love. And um, the story for me really starts as a young person, I really figured out, who I was, and, and I really navigated a lot of the things I dealt with as a kid through art, right? And, and I was really passionate about art and creativity, was blessed to have some friends who are also creative-minded, and as we wanted to navigate the industry for ourselves, we realized, like, yo, if we want to do this for real for real, we have to understand the business, right? So I was always that kid who, even though I love art, music, and, and fashion, and poetry, I always was on the the business side, trying to play the pseudo manager role for a lot of my creative friends. And in doing so, especially in a city like Philadelphia where we're a talent town through and through, but we're not as an industry town, we were running into the, the same challenges that a lot of folks around us were running into, which was, we didn't know early on, like where do we go to get access to the tools we needed to create, right? The studios for us were a little bit too expensive. We couldn't pay 80, 90, 100 bucks an hour to go to Milk Boy Recording Studio. Um, You know, we didn't know where to go to really get real education and strategy on how to build a business around our art. Um, You know, back in 2012, 2013, 2014, when we are just getting started, the idea for the independent artist journey was, was coming to fruition and we're watching people take their, their shots, but we didn't have a successful chance the rapper right at that day and age where we could see the model at scale and say, okay, this is how we can do it. And people weren't really sharing the information at that point. Um, and then lastly, it was just like, yo, where do we go to be around people that we felt were like-minded in this sense that they cared just as much about art and creativity as they cared about the business? right? And building a sustainable and a scalable business. So our response to that was to take a step back and say, let's build it, right? Like, what does that space for that place look like, right? Because especially if you're, you know, getting out of college, if you went to college, right, and you're maybe graduating from some art school, you know, where do you go? Or maybe you didn't even go to college, so you're spending your time in the dive bars and in the venues, right? Just performing, going to art galleries. There was no place in between that, and especially if you're an entrepreneur, um, you know, like, like we are, where it was like, yo, I'm going to all these co-working spaces, and I'm, and I'm listening in to these speakers on these panels, but really, I didn't feel like anyone was speaking to me directly, right? And if, if I keep it a buck, I didn't feel like any of those spaces were even built for me. We worked, didn't have the amenities we needed as a creative entrepreneur, right? Um, so the idea for us to build this creative space came to fruition, and that's what led us to build Rec Philly which we now think of as a gym membership for creative people, right? Yeah. So the whole idea was we know, you know, what we need as creative, as creative entrepreneurs, as artists, we know what our, our friends need. Let's just build that space. And that space turned into this beautiful community um, of people who were all interested in having access to these tools, these strategies, and each other, right? To be able to just make sure that we could, you know, communicate and organize ourselves in a way where, If I'm an artist and I need a photographer because my photographer bailed on me for my show tomorrow night, do I get on Instagram and just start saying, hey, guys, I need a photographer? Or could there be a a better way, right, for us to get connected to each other? So that's really been what it's been all about for us, um, building that model and and really saying who do we want to be valuable to, right, and for us as creative entrepreneurs. And then how do we get, you know, as much information and data as possible to really show what folks need? And then let's just go and build those tools. So that's kind of been what it's been for us. And you know, my background, you know, was coming from school. You know, studied communications, media, and economics. Um, studied economics more so just for like the personal pleasure of it. I just wanted to understand why a lot of people had money and why everyone I knew didn't. Um, so I wanted to kind of learn how money worked. And and the media, the communications and media piece was just because I I knew early on as a kid that a lot of the media we were consuming um you know if you're like me growing up watching music videos i knew that had a big role in how i saw myself and saw the world and i realized that if we ever got to a point where the people creating the media were the same folks who you know thought like i thought right or just whatever happened cooler people controlled that content um i thought we could change the world that way so it just so happens that now i'm literally building a business right at the intersection of media and economics and um you know fortunately we've been able to take this model that I've been talking about from the fourth floor of uh, old window factory in North Philadelphia. Uh, I saw some folks from Philly here. So if you guys know North Philly, ninth and dolphin we built the model there. It's <laughs> deep, deep. It's deep. It's in the mix. Um, and, and we built the model there starting from literally a 600 square foot room. And now we just, you know, raised upwards of three and a half million dollars. To then build a 10,000 square foot flagship location in Center City, Philadelphia in the old gallery mall. If y'all, if y'all know, Philly, you know the gallery. Um, they call it the fashion district now, but to me and, and us, it's always gonna be the gallery. But um, <laughs> yeah, man, we've been able to scale that up. And a lot of what we've done along the way has come from some of this guerrilla style, figuring it out in our basements, right? And, and, and in, our, in our bedrooms. And then as we kind of built the space started to do it there but then literally now because of covid the last three and a half months i've also been back to the grind and
0: building it right here in my living room you know with my business partners as well so you know, I think you're you're a little prophetic because you're you hitting on a few topics we're going to touch on tonight. Um, and and I, I'd be remiss to not point out a few things that are happening today, or say I should say a couple things. One is that you know LeBron, you know Maverick Carter just announced that a hundred million dollar investment in their their focus on black um, black media. So kudos to to them for also doing the work. And I highlight that also because. You know, this, this scene right here isn't always so common, right, of two black male founders, you know, um, creating businesses that are that are affecting, impacting, changing the world that also make money. Um, so I do wanna point that out too, because, you, you know, you guys at home are in for a treat, cause we're gonna give you the real information. If you've been around the last few episodes, you've gotten to, to really dig deep and learn from Fatima and Dawn and Sona. So, you know, Will's gonna come, come with the same heat tonight and I'm excited for the conversation to, to flow. Um, first thing I want to hit on though if I can get control of this there we go yeah man you touched on it right um you guys opened this amazing space um in the gallery um and it's it's been a whole kind of redevelopment project down there right like it it looks so beautiful compared to like you said 2012 2013 when you and I were like down there getting to know Philly more um so from, from that vantage point man you had this big space created I've seen the images on Instagram like you guys are filling out the space having these dope events and then boom March hit COVID COVID hits um yeah. what, what was how did that impact your strategy you know like I, I yesterday night you guys had Alex Wolf on digitally right yeah. um I saw you know I, I even I tuned in uh to the YouTube afterwards. I didn't catch it till after but to Abu going through social media that was yeah. super you know insightful right so like yeah how, how did you change your strategy based off of that? Because I think that's a good starting point for everyone at home.
1: Sure. So, um, and again, you know, RecPhilly.com, if anyone wants to get more context to just like, you know, what we're doing, the space and the programming. Um, but yeah, man, when you open a, a, a music venue, a co-working space and, you know, 14 private studios or retail store, it doesn't cross your mind that within four months of grand opening, you have to plan for uh, international pandemic, right? And close the doors. Um, so I will say, honestly, man, like pre-COVID, this idea of needing to close the doors on the space for months on end, was it never crossed my mind, you know? And, and maybe that was a little naive of me as a young founder. Um, I think we were all naive then.
0: You're, you're good, man, you
1: know? <laughs> you're good. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, no, no pre-planning or preparation for it whatsoever. Um, and then, you know, early on in March, we all, we're hearing rumblings, right, about what's happening with COVID. Um, And, you know, just maybe for some more context, REC is a two-part model. One is the creative incubator, everything I've talked about thus far, but we've also paired that up with a creative agency who gets to go and and, and leverage the talent in our community and get our folks paid to do projects for different brands, you know, companies. And one of the biggest projects we do every year is going down to South by Southwest and taking over 300 Philadelphians down there. Yeah, amplify that to say... When we first started hearing that COVID was coming and that we needed to potentially close our doors, I feel like I went through every stage of grief, one being denial, first and foremost, right? I'm like, no way, we gotta close our doors. <laughs> like, nah, um, but then when South by Southwest got canceled, that's when I knew it was real. Cause I'm like, yeah. wow, they're not gonna just cancel this, you know, off a whim, There's, you know, millions and millions of dollars invested in that campaign and that. Right. Um, but then I knew it was serious. And for us, again, our whole value prop is resources, strategies, community. So really, I had to just take that step back of that next morning and say, if we have to close tomorrow, what does our value proposition look like? And, you know, when, when you're in the excitement of just built a million dollar space, right? And the bricks are so shiny and still polished, (laughs) new car smell. Um, It's hard to want to step away from that. But honestly, I would say the silver lining was it gave me an opportunity to really take a hard look at our model and say, yeah, cool, you got the bricks. But like, who are we beyond these four walls, Right. right? And for us, the next 24 hours was about, okay, we have all this great programming lined up. Knowing everything we do is about convening people in some way or another. And we said, yo, this all has to go digital, right? We didn't want to miss a beat in, in educating our community, knowing that what was about to come was going to, one, affect us and adversely, right? You know, specifically knowing that I serve creatives, but specifically the tons of creatives of color and black creatives. So I was like, yo, we still got to be valuable. We still got to teach here. We still got to be educating. We still got to be connecting people, one, to experts and then two, to resources. So we started just getting on our thing to make sure all of our programs feel digital. And then next it was, we all are gonna to need to be more connected than ever right now, right? So what could that look like? This was the first time we decided to launch a Slack channel for our members to be able to get on and just, you know, kind of keep that communication going. Um, and then next after that, man, it was, what else do our folks need from us? So after that, it was about, let's listen, right? I think, you know, every great entrepreneur and every great leader, knows that like if you're serving folks and your job is to be of service you can't be of effective service without listening Mm -hmm. so literally like my business partner and I are getting on the phone and we're just calling members like yo how are you doing what do you need right now and when we could hear the the feedback from folks we knew that we had a positioning that we could take which was really about curating the right resources for folks did folks know how to navigate PUA and unemployment? Did folks know how to navigate some of the grants that had been being offered? Um, And things like that. So that's kind of how our strategy came about. It really came from, one, let's make sure that our digital experience can match or exceed the physical experience that people get in the four walls, right? And then after that, let's listen and figure out what we need to be doing to supplement our model to this point, and then go from
0: there. No, I mean, you hit on a bunch of different important things, right? Like um, one of them being, you know, the value prop, right? So people at home, you know, one of the key things you have to be thinking about in building your business is like, what value are you bringing to the people you're looking to serve? Um, And, you know, Will talked about the idea of, hopping on the phone with his co-founder business partner and finding out what what his community needed um like that's market research right like picking up the phone and, and asking potential clients or potential customers people that you think are your clients and customers what do you need is the product i'm building of service to you valuable to you how can how, how would you engage with it if it did exist so um so, that, I, yeah.
1: I actually want to add on that if that's okay yeah um, of course i, I think One of the things that's really interesting um, when we think about entrepreneurs, especially for folks who are just starting out, um, usually the line of thinking is, hey, I have this idea for this product or this service. Let me launch that and then go find out who needs it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And for me, I never really understood that way of doing it. Like I got it, but I was like, well, no, I think we can do this differently. And the way I like to to suggest for, for early founders is, why don't we take some time to just think about who you want to be valuable to, mm-hmm. right? Because once you really understand and get clear on who you want to be of service to, that allows us to get to a space where then you can do that listening, get close as you can to those folks, and folks will tell you what they need. And then your job is to deliver them what they need, right? That, that maybe they don't know how to deliver to themselves. So I always challenge people, instead of just building something cool and then trying to sell it, it's go figure out who your customers are first, and then understand mm-hmm. what they need and how you can fill that gap. Um, And I see in the chat, someone asked, is RecPhilly a nonprofit? And I think this is such a beautiful and important question. And the answer is no, we are not a nonprofit, right? We are a for-profit company. And for us early on, as soon as we're telling people about our model, hey, we want to empower creatives, right away, people start to ask those questions. Oh, 501c3, right? And, you know, I understand why people ask that, but I think there's this really important mindset shift that we have to get away from when we start talking about art entertainment people start thinking philanthropy nonprofit. profit but i think what's subtly happening is we're devaluing art because we're, we're putting it in that category because through my eyes we're empowering entrepreneurs right just right. like any other accelerator is going to do right and and when you know i think about people thinking that there's no money there or they start saying like oh can the market afford your product and they think about you know our membership starting at 50 bucks a month i'm just like what do you, don't you know we buy Jordans and sneakers and go out on the weekends and spend way more than that in a night mm-hmm. you know so I think sometimes it's unlearning to do it but we're a for-profit company and you just hopefully want to show people that like you can do good and also do well at the same yeah. time yeah. these things are not mutually exclusive and hopefully it shines a light on some of the for-profit companies who do you bullshit to the world <laughs> and, uh, our models just like yours as well will hope show that business can be an incredible tool for positive change
0: yeah i mean well speaking to that too like i mentioned i ch- checked out the, the episode with abu that you guys did to go through social media growth and he talked about look he, he started out by charging 20 a head for a monthly subscription and everybody was like oh it's too expensive it's too expensive and then he was like you know what i'm gonna charge a thousand a head and see what happens and he's like he sold out yeah right so like <laughs> it gets to the point of how we look at value, right? And then we'll, we'll touch on some of those things too in terms of psychology of it all, but I'm glad to at least have the preface of understanding how COVID has played a role in today um, for you. So, you know, the, the next thing I want to touch on is really, so you've turned your physical business into more of a remote business at this point in time. Obviously it won't be like that forever. But, but it's going to be like that for at least the next several months. Um, thankfully, we live in states um, that have done a pretty decent job of actually turning the curve. Um, you know, not to say another spike won't come, but at least for now, we're in such, you know several phases that are opening up businesses for us. Um, if, if I take you back a little bit in terms of building your business out what were things that you knew you had to be technologically um, integrated with? Like, so doing on a technical standpoint Um, and how has that now affected you in a positive way, you know, that, you know, COVID changes your physical business, but now you have to now pivot to what you're doing now. So like, how are you prepared for it in that, in that regard? yeah Yeah, so this
1: this, that's a good question um so when we're you know let's say January of 2020 right we're doing tons of programming you know at this point we're doing just under 20 events a month right at that point we were already in the mindset that yo every event that we're doing because it's so valuable there's no reason why these shouldn't be archived online right Mm -hmm. so in that you know timeline I was already telling our team and specifically our marketing team I'm like yo let's get ready to be virtually live streaming these for anyone who can't show up. And I'm so glad that we started doing that in January because overnight it was like OBS was the most important piece of software that we <laughs> had, right? Um, so that was something that was really helpful because it allowed the smoothness of that transition to literally say overnight, okay, cool, we can't be in person, Zoom it up, you know, OBS it up, YouTube Live it up. Um, and that's been really helpful. And, and to be honest with you, what I got to learn through that is that there's a ton of value we're giving just with the programming digitally alone. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with people walking foot into our space. And we've actually been able to to design and develop future tiers of membership that will be just digital. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it all comes back to us having the foresight and just saying, like, yo, this is great when people come in here for these events, but, like, if we don't have an archive digitally for people to get Mm -hmm. access to this information, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. So there was that. And then there was also, again, like I mentioned, just our idea of making sure that we had a space for community to just connect to each other, right? So we have, you know, different tools on our app, like a directory, so you can just find people by, you know, service provider type and, and artist genre and things like that. Um, so now those tools are the most important when, you know, just a few months ago, they seemed like these really cool add-ons, right? But now they've quickly become the core of how we operate as a remote business
0: yeah and you know what's funny is i, I don't even know if i reached out and told you this but i remember so we, we have a new space in bushwick as well in terms of office space we, no one's been in it for the last three months though of course but i'm there one day and another team is like they're their early stage they're building things out and they're looking at the the media and our art, artists and creative space and one of the one of the founders goes yeah like have you got the researching rec like they yeah they're really doing it like we want to do something similar but we just haven't figured it out yet and i'm like I was like, yo, I know those guys, like, you know what I mean? Like, so the, the work, it, you know, it's, it's, it is, it was already living virtually, yeah. right? Like it was, the message was already getting out. So I'm glad you touched on that because I mean, even for us, you know, a, a lot of the things we do are really grassroots stuff. Like you used that word earlier. We yeah. get into the community. We, we, we have events, we have workshops, we have all these things. We, we partner up with employers and do workshops. All that ceased, you know, once COVID hit. Um, I will admit, for us, it's it's worked actually, or been beneficial in the sense that we focus a lot on product um, and just like you know leaning into our product. You know, we're we're preparing for a launch a little bit delayed. So shout out to the folks that are you know not holding me over the over the gun for that one, but we gonna get there. Um, and but in that process, though, it's allowed the company to focus really cleanly on what we do well, so that when we're ready to get this stuff back into the market, it's it's fire, right? So. You know, I'm glad we could touch on that. And again, like I mentioned, you know, we're, for folks at home, the reason why I, I wanted to highlight COVID and I wanted to highlight how it changes our existing businesses and things we have to think, think about strategy-wise, for many of you all, you probably experienced the same thing. And or if you haven't launched your business yet, you're coming, you're entering into a market that's different right like we're in an economic depression um what we've seen is some businesses have skyrocketed like zoom what we're using right now and some have really really been hurt like i've had friends that are that are honestly contemplating do i keep my business going or do i just do i close up shop um because many of their businesses were focused on people being in close proximity all the time Mm. and so in those instances where there's no other solve for you know, now you're like, do I merge with another organization? Do we have enough cloud and do we have enough technology IP for another organization to want to merge with us or acquire us? Or do we close up shop in, in totality? So, um, you know, you're entering a very volatile market, that, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. There's op- opportunity for a lot of opportunity. Um, and so yeah. that's what I want to key in on. Um, in your, in your world, man, like, and I already, I realize I have a typo here, but D-Nice is what I was trying to highlight, but versus, right? Seeing amazing artists go back and forth on Instagram, DJ yeah. D-Nice, you know what I mean? And Club Quarantine, like how has though they, they came around kind of early in COVID. How have mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, that movement impacted the world of creatives in, in maybe not feeling as dismayed as many felt when this all happened?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a dope question. Um, I think D Nice man was Swiss and Timbo are doing with verses, and even Tory Lanez um, early on were super helpful, right? Just from a morale standpoint. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's interesting is when when everything started happening with COVID, we were starting to have this conversation using this language around essential workers and non-essential workers, right? And I thought that was really interesting because you know, to the the popular conversation, artists are not thought of as essential, right? Mm -hmm. And it almost speaks to this idea we were talking about earlier, right? About where we put art. Um, But the the thing for me was, when you think of art as a non-essential business, but then you realize that right now, this is when we lean into music more. This is when we lean into film more. Like we realize that culture is the through line that creates the morale for us to even deal with any of this other stuff right um so I think what they did was they they really like planted the flag to just show folks that like yo we're gonna get through this and, and we can do it with smile right and this is all of that was before unfortunately brother George Floyd was murdered right, right? Yeah. and then things really started to get heavy and um I just think it, it just showed creatives that yo yeah normally you're getting in a room with, a, with 500 people and you can't do that but they were showing us that if we use technology properly, we can do our best to kind of like add a connotation to what the new experience will be for a little bit. Where like, I jumped in a be nice thing and I see Michelle Obama in there, <laughs> you know, with like famous actors and I'm just like, wow, like we're resilient people, you know, and, and if you hold, if you create the space for people to connect, you can do they will. So I was really excited to see that because it showed how quickly people would adopt this new technological kind of like advance that none of us wanted, but realized was necessary. Um, So that's helpful. And then, you know, just to kind of like nail it down here, like when we're talking to our creatives through our programming right now, what we're telling folks is no matter what business you're operating, if you don't have the digital component to match what you could deliver experience wise in person, you're gonna be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. right? You know how many photographers are making their living shooting weddings, but can't now? And then they realized, Wow, I have this skill set of specialized knowledge that isn't worth anything to me right now because no one can pay me w- for what I know, right? right? So now we're seeing photographers that are packaging, packaging up, you know, master classes to just teach people who are maybe photographers two or three years behind them, and now they can sell those things while they sleep. And they're realizing that what they wanted from entrepreneurship in the beginning was all about freedom, freedom mm-hmm. of time, and they only get that if you can decouple your time from your earning potential by creating products, right? so we're just challenging folks to say yo what was the experience in, in in real life now go do that digitally in whatever way you can whether that's products or experiences like what versus and D nice
0: yeah man i mean it speaks to that that ability to be flexible like i was talking to my friend mark clinton about a week ago and this mark's a photographer He's done amazing work we, we've spoken on panels together before as well in new york city and you know he mentioned that you know, at first he was kind of just sitting on his butt playing video games during COVID, right? Like, he's like, yo, I was a photographer. I was, you know, there was no events. There was nothing. And then when the protest started, when when George Floyd passed away, sadly, um, you know, he went out and started shooting the protests. And, you know, his photo, he ends up working with Times. His photo with the fist up in the air in front of Trump Tower ends up being on the cover of Time Magazine. And now he has, like, he's been killing it ever since. But now he's like, I don't want to be you know, he had this new audience and so I see uh, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Moore h- asked, how do you build your audience? So we're going to get to that too. But he was saying he has this whole new audience that he doesn't really quite know yet how to engage with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, embracing of it while also being like, I don't want to be pigeonholed into a protest photographer now that I've had these, you know, series of shots go viral effectively. So, um, you know, it's, in, in this space of change it's still very important to realize as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you're still the North star. Like, and you have to know where do you want to take your business? Um, while still being able to be flexible enough and amenable enough to change, that could, yeah. could you know, like, like, even for us as a business, there's some like business partnerships and brand partnerships we've done that maybe, you know, they're not scalable. It's a, it's a nice check right now, it's not scalable, but in the beginning, you're like, well, we need money to be able to eat. Right. So you, you do the deals or Airbnb. I don't know if many people know this, but they were selling like Obama O's, like 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 literally cereal to make sure they have money to keep Airbnb going in the beginning until they got the investments they need to grow. What's now Airbnb. Um, so, you know, being flexible, those side hustles, those are really important. And, and they really help your business grow, even in the beginning when you're first trying to figure out how to put it together revenue wise. And, and I think the Airbnb example is
1: such a strong one, too, uh, just because to add on to that, not only were they selling the Obama O's at one point, early on, you know, they did something that taught me a really valuable lesson about building a business, which was in the beginning, they were willing to do things that weren't scalable. Yep. You know, and, and one of the things that they realized early on was like, hey, we have this platform, but the spaces that are getting rented are the ones that have high quality photos, Right and they knew that not everyone that was going to be willing to be a host had the means and the eye to take really great photos so their founders and their early staff would literally go places to help their you know hosts take better photos of their spaces to get them renting and when we make those phone calls you know to our members that's where we're thinking right should the the founders be the ones spending the time on the phones right calling hundreds of people right. textbook maybe not But for us, we knew that there was so much value in what we learned, right, by doing that, that it made sense. So, you know, the things that are going to help you grow the most sometimes, you know, on paper, don't seem like the most scalable things. That's what a magic is.
0: Right. hundred percent, man. for, so for businesses, I mean, you have folks on here that, you know, maybe are in retail or what have you. Obviously, with General Assembly, we're going to have an audience people who are usually tech-enabled, usually yeah. online. But for the folks out there that maybe are not in a tech-heavy business, do you think at this point in 2020, technology is needed for every business? It's probably a loaded question, but what, yeah, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so this, it's, it's interesting, for sure, because it comes down to, like, what we define as
1: tech, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, because the way my gut wants to answer this is yes, right? Yeah. Um, But it it just comes down to how we define it. I think for any business that wants to scale, though, I think you'll start realizing that some of these platforms are so crucial when it comes to um, helping you do repeated and dependable operations, you know? So, like, maybe you're not thinking of your company as a tech company, but is the way in which you're delivering your service something that could be automated in any way? Um, And usually the answer is yes, if you really want to get aggressive with your growth. Um, so, because of that, I think it's needed. But that doesn't mean every every person's company is run on an algorithm, right? Um, so, not in that way of thinking. But in general, technology just being things that make things easier and more efficient. Yeah, we all we all should be trying to leverage tech in some way.
0: Yeah, and, and I would say for folks at home, like. You know, even if it's just for the news you receive, right? Like you can set up your, and we've talked about this before too, right? But you can you can set up your Google alerts and just throw in your industry into the Google alerts so that that way, you know, maybe you're not you don't have to do all the you know extensive research every day, but Google's just sending you every article that mentions that industry or even the title of your business. Um, you know, you can be using you know. Uh, you mentioned earlier slack right like maybe your business doesn't require technology in, in full but with slack you can easily or more easily communicate with your team um no matter where they are right so there there are ways to use technology even if you don't feel like your tech, your business is a technology intensive business but again to will's point like uh, everything in some way touches technology right you know if you're if you're booking one of those scooters outside your you know your window it's, it's an app if, if you're if you're using uber it's an app right like so at the end of the day you know you still you guess it's a, it's a, it's a two-ton vehicle moving you somewhere but you use technology to book that vehicle all right so mm-hmm. so that's a key thing to highlight yeah, yeah and, and also like once you and then once you get into marketing
1: right like mm-hmm. honestly like marketing is half tech half you know storytelling right yeah. um so and i'm sure we'll talk more about like when it comes down to audience building and stuff i think you're missing opportunities if you're not leveraging technology.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, so this this brings us to Mackenzie's question a bit, um, but I will touch it in two ways. One is I, I want to unpack how we define scale, the word scale, because um, we, we both use it, I think, at this point today. And then also to... I want us to get into the community growth part um, and and give specific examples as the things we've seen tangibly work that allowed us to either reach scale or reach growth in terms of community. Um, But when I first think of the idea of scale, I I think of it as, you know, there's words we use in business like the, the penetration of the market, the saturation of the market, and all they're getting at is how much of the market do you have some bearing on? How much of the market do you control? How how much of the market uses your product? Um, and so when I think of the word scale on my end, I think of how can we have have that kind of saturation in many places at the same time, which would then mean millions of people are logging into WIL every day. Or if it's a podcast like the WIL Tech Ownership podcast, how many people are subscribing to the podcast every day? Like those are things I'm, or metrics I'm thinking about when I'm thinking of scale between my my own goals and of course my team's goals. Uh, But for Will, for you, man, how do you define scale?
1: Yeah, um, I I think of scale in a couple different ways. Um, You know, I'm building a product that is not just like one thing, right? And I'm so sensitive to that because that could quickly become a double-edged sword, right? Try to do a business that does too many things. You know, it it could quickly get messy. Um, But I think about scale in one, how many people can we impact? right? Like how many of our customer, how many customers can we serve and are we fit to serve? Um, And then on an individual level, when we do have a customer who's using our product to the best of their ability, how deep can the impact go, right? Um, And for me, it's always about balancing both of those two, right? How many people, but also like how deeply can we affect each person? Um, You know, one of the North Star numbers that we are working on is like, our vision for 10 years is we want to be able to serve 100,000 creators worldwide, right? So that's like what our grand scale looks like. Um, but one of the things we're doing to, to get after that other version of scale right now is doing a lot of the, the data to, to create our impact reports. So that way we can be able to say, you know, how much money are we literally being able to pay out to creators through our agency? Um, but also, like, I want to start getting the long-tail data, the long-tail data saying, how many people who came through our program got to quit their jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've been able to build such a, a strong and sustainable business. And then after they quit their jobs, how many of them are getting the the information through our programming to understand what it looks like to do some of this financial fitness, right? I to know. really start talking about you know financial literacy and to even wealth building. I want to know how many people in our community have LLCs, and eventually I want to understand how many of them have been able to go into home ownership because of it right so then we can really start to, to measure that impact because the impact for me doesn't stop when someone makes a dope music video right <laughs> um so that's kind of how we think about scale but i think it's super important for people to think about scale in whatever ways is appropriate for them because mm-hmm. it can be different for everyone um but i think one of the the most helpful ways for for people to think about it, and the way we think about it is mind share right mm-hmm. i always was told like build the business that you feel like that you are best positioned to build right? Like, I truly believe I'm the best person in the whole world to build the business that I'm building, right? And then with that, the people who I know that I'm looking to serve, how well positioned is our brand in their mind when they yeah, think about true. their pain points? And what scale looks like for me is to be synonymous when folks are talking about creative space, like your boy in New York, he's like, oh, do you know about rec, right? Like, yeah. that's what, you know, the, the the rumblings of scale look like to me. It's, it's that mind shift. Think about soda, Pepsi, Coke, boom, they're at a complete scale, right? Think about fast food, McDonald's, they almost have this like omnipresence, right? right, right. Um, and, and I think that's one way to think about scale, uh, but specifically omnipresence only to your market and your market alone, because who cares if people outside of that know about you or love you?
0: Right, right. You know, it's funny you bring up Pepsi and Coke, like I, I always point this out, you know, in, in talking with a, lot, with a lot of young entrepreneurs, and I mean young in their journey, um, I remember being in marketing class in college and the, the professor talked about coca-cola and uh, this, the whole point was to highlight to entrepreneurs how to market their businesses and I, for the life of me i couldn't understand why we were learning it in this way because you know coca-cola is a multi-billion dollar business who at this point you know their logos are simply to do what you just said remind you they exist when you're parched so like when you're at the front of the store line, like oh let me grab a quick cold coke i mean they're impulse buy while so they're in the front in the fridge right yep. so I, for entrepreneurs at home, that is a very different marketing style and approach than what you often are equipped with day one, right? Like, you want people to just know you even exist, right? And Coke wants to remind you they exist because they know you know them. They're one of the most yeah. recognizable brands in the world, but you're just trying to gain, you know, gain mind share, as you put it. Yeah. So your marketing tactics have to look very different and they have to be very, very strongly centered around value because you don't have in the beginning brand to fall back on. People don't know already the vibe they're supposed to get from your business, the vibe they're supposed to get from your product. They don't know already the founders per se in terms of, I, I like working with them because they really believe in X, Y, Z. So when, when that's the case in the beginning, it really, really comes down to your product and the value your product's giving other people, you know? So that's so, it, man.
1: So and, I and, I, and I and I hope that a lot of our entrepreneurs understand that like as a founder, like you gotta be a great storyteller. And this is yeah, something that yeah. I'm actively trying to get better and better at because, you know, that's all marketing is, is is can you get the right message to the right person at the right time? Mm-hmm. Right. And and if we understand storytelling to then pull them into it, it's not just about, hey, I have this commodity for you that you'll like in this moment, right? But when you watch a Coca-Cola commercial, the story is this will make you happy right the story yeah, is rarely yeah, yeah. like this is gonna really just like be a good drink for right now it's like the cheers right it's almost this friend vibe this energy and, and I think they just have done such a great job at that storytelling for so long that we now tell the story to each other
0: yeah I, I, and I think the same thing when it comes to even pitching your business right like I, I always thought to myself I want to I want to speak out loud as if I'm listening to me speak out loud Um, because if if I don't connect with, if I'm, you ever been, you ever been in a moment where you say something, you you articulate a story or you articulate a point, and then you pause before anybody responds and you go, wait, I think I can say that better. Or you go, wait, does that make sense? And the reason why we're asking that is because we know we didn't just articulate it the way it was best needed to get the message across. So I, I genuinely feel like as you're speaking, it's your responsibility to hear yourself. Mm. So that when you're, you know, by the time if people look confused, I should have known they were gonna be confused. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you know, storytelling is such an art and it's 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 part of the process of building your own business. You know, you have to be able to tell stories effectively because remember, as, as a founder, you're not just pitching investors, right? Like that's that's like that's way down the line. You're you're pitching your team every yep. day when they show <laughs> up, they gotta be motivated. Yeah. And so if they're not buying what you're selling, you're not pitching them well. You're right. pitching your c- potential customers because you want to get their business. Like, And then at the end, investors, right? And and also in the beginning when you don't have the monetary means to, to buy everything, right? You, you can't get the best law firm in town. You can't get the best accountants oftentimes in the beginning, you have to be able to pitch them on the vision of like, hey, just help me. I'm, I'm a I'm a person that's hungry. I'm out here doing it. Do you do any pro bono work? You know, will you take some equity? You know, of course, yeah. it's a small, small amount, investing over four years, <laughs> so you can talk about that. But like, you know, like you have to be able to pitch the story the right way to yeah. get that engagement. And so our next topic actually is like building with a co-founder, right? Yeah. You co-founded the business with Dave you know you guys obviously work well together it it manifests in that in that what the outputs have been for rec um what does that look like in terms of how are you how do you tap into the responsibilities of what you're good at how does he tap into what he's good at and how do you not step on each other's toes like what for folks at home that you know are building a business currently with a co-founder and maybe they've hit a rough patch or for folks at home that you know are thinking, hey, I think I need someone else to help me. I'm purely creative. I never thought about the business side. Or I'm purely in business. I never thought about the creative side. How how do you pick the right co-founder, and then how do you make sure there's respect and clarity enough to build with them?
1: Yeah, uh, this is a great question. You know, our whole one of our biggest mantras at Rec is independent doesn't mean alone, right? So we're big on collaboration. Doing what you do well self-awareness to know what that is and what that isn't so then you can find other people to put around yourself to be able to mitigate some of your weaknesses um i think the biggest thing for me in this whole journey has been self-awareness you know because i think there's so much external pressure right just in the world and especially just being a founder um that if you don't know yourself it's going to be so easy to try to be something you're not and that is the most harmful thing in in this whole journey For me and Dave, you know, we got a bit lucky in the sense that we were genuinely like best friends first. Like my co-founder and I actually went to high school together, you know, we did some like school projects and was like, that's pretty dope. This was fun to work on because you like those things. I don't. I like these things. You're terrible at them, you know, and and that was the kind of like budding of our relationship. And as we grew as partners, it was all about, you know, underneath it all. Do we have a similar vision, right, for ourselves and for our organization and what impact we want to put out in the world? Because I think without that, every relationship is doomed to fail, whether that's a business relationship, a genuine friendship, you know, intimate partner. Like, if you're not aligned there, it's just not going to work. But then after that comes down to, like, the talents, right? And then can we be um, complementary to each other's skills? And, you know, for us, Dave and I have always been super – honest right about each other's skills and passions and honestly also honest about the world we live in right Right. and i think it's easier to talk about these things now but like as a as a black founder or as you know a a white man right he's a founder Mm -hmm. in a cultural business like there's real histories right associated with that in america and for us we were like yo we know what this is we gonna call this shit the fuck out (laughs) <laughs> but then, I'm sorry for my language. I hope it's no. Clean. You're yo, You're good, <laughs> man. We yeah, always right, keep right. it real here. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> um. But also realizing that, like, yo, like, there's rooms that I can walk in and get things done that I might not be able to bring Dave in, right? Mm-hmm. But then also realizing there's some people who who we need to say yes to some things that maybe are more willing to get that that note from Dave, right? Mm-hmm. And for us, we just were honest about that and put those things on the table and then use them to our advantage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. But through the process tons of ego checking through that process is tons of just like what is it just um it's all give and take right Mm -hmm. and 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 the one thing that i think was super helpful for me is i read a book called rocket fuel are you familiar with rocket fuel i'm not i'm not oh man so for anyone who has a co-founder especially if you only have one and there's two of y'all this book Uh, i think it's by gino wickman and someone else but basically um Rocket Fuel is a book all about the importance of having um, two types of leaders and what their roles are. And Dave and I were even at a point in our, our our partnership where like, we were both trying to do a little bit too much, right? Where like, I'm looking at him and, and he's grinding out, loves emails, firing them off 3am, you know what I mean? And I'm almost here like, you know what, let me get on my email back. Even though I hate it, I gotta get better. Let me... And I realized that like, I was taking myself out of position. I didn't get joy yeah. from that. Like I was draining myself, but ego was telling me that we had to kind of keep up with each other in
0: that. Yeah. But
1: the reality is if I'm in that bag and I'm using that side of my brain, then I'm not being able to be the visionary that I know I am and create great product, right? Because right. it's a very different thing. And when I read Rocket Fuel, it broke it down so beautifully. And um, essentially it just talks about this relationship between a visionary type leader and what their skill sets are and what their habits are for better and for worse, and then also an integrator, right? right? Which is more of like a visionaries up here, here's the vision where we're going, you know, ultimate dream world. But then you need the integrator who's gonna say, okay, cool, but to get there, we need steps one, two, three, yep. four, in this room. Mm-hmm. And um, as you've been able to be more honest about those things, what what makes us happy and all that kind of stuff, it allowed us to get to a space where um, we could stay in our pockets and just
0: crush it. Yeah, no, that's you know, real. I mean. <laughs> I think oftentimes people don't understand the breakdown even of like CEO and COO. So it's like, well, what is the COO's yeah. role or what is the purpose? And you know one is chief executive officer, one is chief operational officer. And yeah, yeah you, you have the visionary in terms of how they see the world and all these things, but you need the operators to like set those meticulous milestones yeah. and, and and work with the team on how to get there and, and every now and then you get blessed and fortunate enough to be both um right. but that's not always the case right like in reality if you can focus your energy on what you do very 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 well yeah. you can you can take over the world with that just because of, of knowledge I, I had an investor call today yeah. and um i two questions that caught me off guard where you know um or i'll keep it on this one because the other one was kind of just like it was part for the course and it made sense sure. uh, but one of the questions was um you know, oh, for like, what are you, what are you not good at? Like, and and I was, and so I took that as like, oh, so as a team, I think we could, no, 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 no. what are you not good at? And I was like, what? oh, you mean like Mimi? Me, me. Um, mm. And I sat there and I, you know, I, I was, I just had that like an interview question. I hadn't gotten that in a long time. So I was like, yeah. uh, I was like, I don't want to sound corny, and give you, like, the that that negative answer that's really a positive answer. I'm a but perfectionist. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, I work well under pressure, and it just means you're a procrastinator. Um, I was like, yo, but uh, I, I think I know where I suck. I was mm. like, and that still probably comes off corny, but, like, I, I mean it. Like, you know, I don't want anyone on our team that I can do their job better than them. Mm. I, would just, I would just do it. You know what I mean? Like it's that idea of giving something to somebody who works hard to get it done, or you give, you know, somebody that has a lot of gaps in their schedule, you give it to them and it sits there forever. The person that's always doing things will find a way to get it done in 10 minutes and shoot it back to you. So from my vantage point, if, if, if value add to our business and our company is you do what you do particularly better than anyone else on the team, right? Um, Which is why you're here. You're the, you're the expert. And of course, as we grow as an organization and, and grow as a bigger organization it, things will change. There'll, there'll be several roles that are the same role, but yeah. the idea still remains, and you guys are the experts yeah. that the company is looking towards to give insight, right? Because I can't be a data scientist like you can. You went to school for it. You know it. You, yo, tell me what's important, right? Yeah. I can just tell you where we're looking to go. So I think that's important to remember, too, in terms of you know co-founders, business partners, all that stuff, bring in someone who really complements what you do, who adds to it. Back. right like, you, like your, your first back. hire
1: should be the the person who can do what you don't want to do what you right. don't have time to do what
0: you can't do exactly <laughs> exactly um, yes. and, and you know here we are on the idea of building a team um, yes. you know some of the first steps you're thinking about is like you just said right what what are what are people good at that you're not where are yes. the holes I'm, I'm very big on growing organically I um, yes. think I'm big, I'm very big on on the idea of being prepared but at the yes. same time everyone at home I think has anxiety over like but I don't know accounting that well or I I don't have a law degree or you know I've never built a business like yeah right (laughs) I've never built a business like and and I'm sure you've gotten this question before too like and I I love the way it's young this young woman articulated it one time I was at sleeping at some university and she was like like I know you talk to us about starting a business but like how do you start a business? Like, you know what I'm saying? And I knew exactly what she was saying. You know what I mean? Like that gap between an idea and it being like incorporated and stuff. Like what, what is that, right? Is it just the piece of paper that you sign and file with the state? Like, is it, is it just like a team that says we're doing something? Um, and my real answer to that it's it's all of the above, right? Like in the beginning, it's going to feel very group projecty, very like, and, and sometimes that lasts for a while, right? Like I, I would say even for us, we're like the awkward 12, 13-year-old right now in school figuring how figuring out how they look and what their thing is, what angle works for them. Like, we're in that mode, you know, and we've been at this for a minute. So, you have to give yourself the grace to make mistakes, but also give yourself the grace to, like, grow. Like, part of growing is making mistakes and learning from yeah. them. But, Bro, too, we you know, in, for you, yeah, what's that been yeah, like? Yeah,
1: we, we were in that space that you just described of, like, school project clubhouse feel <laughs> for, like, four years. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like... And, you know, one of the one of the proudest moments I honestly have had as an entrepreneur was the day that we were able to give our staff full-time salaries and benefits and equity. Yeah, proudest man. moment to date, man. And um, it meant so much because when we first started the business, it was me and Dave in our basement with interns, mm-hmm. like first volunteers. And then we realized, yo, we can't just have random volunteers, we have nothing to hold them accountable. So let's at least get them to get some college credit. Um, <laughs> eventually it was that and um honestly it was i believe what what allowed us to do that really early on is you know not want to sound too self-draggadocious but like dave and i were it right as far as like we were the leaders that we knew we needed to be to set the tone for the team members that we wanted to have Right. right i believe in law of attraction so like if you're the person who you're like i'm dope and i'm doing all these cool things but i can't find anyone who's dependable to work with me might have to look in the mirror and be like, how have you not been dependable, right? Mm, like, right. oh, everyone on my team is lazy. Who taught them that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think when we, you know, just get to the core of it, entrepreneurship is just leadership, you know? Right. So it takes, like, being able to lead yourself and then to lead others. And for the first couple of years, folks didn't even care to get paid. They were like, we just want to see this mission come to fruition, you know? And, and that's one of the benefits that we had But then over time, it was like, all right, cool, people, we got to make sure people are getting taken care of, you know, for us, it was beautiful to see some of our literal interns from five years ago are now folks who have options or equity in our business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just like a testament to the organic growth that we've had. Um, And, you know, we're getting to a point now where, like, two years ago, I didn't know how to run a company with 17 employees. Mm -hmm. Like, no one taught me how to do that even some days I'm still getting like, you know, the, the, what's that? Um,
0: imposter, syndrome, imposter syndrome. You know, yeah. of am just yeah, yeah. like,
1: fuck, everyone needs to know what to do. Right. Right. It's right. Part of it, man. You're not going to know what it feels like until you feel it. And you just have to have the confidence that like, if you're in the room already, you're supposed to be there. And like, no one's got to figure it out. That's like, yeah, the best lesson.
0: no one knows what's going on. Well, to that, to that point though, what, you know, I'll ask you this when did you feel comfortable saying i don't know as a as a proper answer to a question as a founder Whew. Um, honestly i would say i
1: would say that got i got that lesson shortly after that rocket fuel time right because before reading that book i was looking at every one of my weaknesses as a liability mm-hmm. like so to me it was like oh gotta know everything or else i look weak right now <laughs> Um, but I, I realized at the end of the day like the team wants us to be successful they don't They don't need a fucking all-knowing leader right and, and realizing that like you're going to do way more harm trying to fake the funk than just keeping it a buck and saying I don't know but I'm going to go find out once I learned that you know it became the secret weapon man.
0: that's real man and yeah. uh, you know I make sure oftentimes with my team, like I, I have mentors that are like specific to a thing. Like I have a couple VC mentors. I have like a business mentor, business development mentor. Um, I have a legal mentor, like, and i I'm open with the team in terms of highlighting like, yeah, oh, I w- I'm, I'm not available at that time. I have a meeting with my mentor, right? Mm-hmm. Because just to highlight, you know, to the team, I'm always learning. Like I, we talk oftentimes about, not often, all the time about being addicted to learning. Yeah. Like you, you have to challenge yourself and want to learn more. And, you know, none of us are going to know every answer. That's just not even humanly possible. Or well, we'd all be billionaires or trillionaires like Jeff Bezos a couple times over, right? Um, or a couple times in terms of touching that number. Um, but that, that being said, like, we, we ha- it's, it's so important that we know what we don't know and highlight that, hey, this is an area where someone else can bring value um, and feel comfortable being able to say, I don't know. I think your, your team more than anything needs to build trust with you. Um, they need to trust that you're going to go into the battle or, you know, whatever, insert any war analogy there, but they need to trust that you're going to go in with them. Um, and if you don't know something, try to figure it out you know, or ask the right questions to figure it out. And also goes back to that other point you had just made recently. Like, I started realizing
1: that it's fun to not know and then to flip the question on my staff, right? Because, mm, like, yeah. they're the experts, right? So, for example, just a quick analogy, um, I have a head of member success. Her job is to make sure members are taken care of. They have what they need. If they ever have any questions, they go right to her. So when I'm making big product decisions, I'll bring her into a meeting. And in the beginning, it was all about, here's what we're going to do. Boom, 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 boom. But then I started realizing, like, I am misusing her time and talent Mm -hmm. because she has the insight because she's so much closer to members than I am. So for me, it was going in here, here's what I believe our product should be. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And understanding that, like, a lot of the best insights come from that. You know, I started to realize, oh, yeah, that's the point of having a strong team because everyone can contribute,
0: and I don't have to know it all. Right, right, right. What, I, what I'll do for, for folks at home, like I, I see questions coming through the q and I'll splice some of them within our conversation just so that we're, we're touching on them. Um, so uh, one question here is how do, how do you deal or how to deal when your special or expert intern or employee leaves in an emergency? So have you ever, Will, had, an, had a team member leave you know abruptly and and you know it it causes the business to take take in some of a hit like what does that look like for you how have you figured that out
1: yeah so um i've had this happen on a couple occasions um and the one occasion super sudden we didn't expect it um and to be honest they were almost like a linchpin it felt like you know it was like yo what do we do without this person? They're so crucial. They're so good at their role. Um, the reality was, our company was never better mm-hmm. until after that person left. Because what I realized was starting to happen is everyone around them got comfortable because they were around a high performer. So yeah. they were like, oh, well, if I just do the bare minimum, this person's always going to bail me out.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: after even though it was challenging there was probably about two months of like kind of struggle to get new workflows together and to just pick up their slack after it we realized that that role didn't even need to exist mm-hmm. we never filled the role we literally just built around and built a new workflow and then we were better off yeah. so I would always say take those opportunities to sit back and rethink the model and the, the, the systems because you might realize that there's other ways to do it because we get so comfortable in just one way of doing it so we were kind of lucky in that situation. Um, and then the other time where we had an emergency, someone was just like, yo, there was uh, some health things, and they just couldn't be in the region anymore. Um, we outsourced it. Mm-hmm. Literally had, yeah, had a CFO, yeah. and overnight it was just like, I can no longer be the CFO. So we were like, all right.
0: And then I learned that CFOs to go is a real thing. Right, right. 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 <laughs> self so services help. Yeah, because when you think about business, you know, you, as, as a founder of a product or, or a business in general, you're you're good at understanding that that industry, that thing, you should be at least. Um, all the other parts of business are, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. Like, you know, like, we, we all need someone in finance. We all need someone in accounting. We all need someone in marketing. We all need someone in insert position here. So when you know that to be the case, you know, you you can utilize, it whenever you're in a stitch, just to give some folks some tools, like Upwork, you've heard us say this before, Upwork.com, Fiverr, you can find some part-time folks that'll hop in and do stuff, um, looking towards consultants, having consultants help you out. Um, and then even, you know, a lot of times people are not all the way privy to how you utilize or work with a board member. A lot of times board members, you know, they actually work for your company in some capacity. Yeah. Um, and that, that can be part of your board arrangement where it's like, hey, look, you're a financial expert. You've been a CFO of two major, you know, Fortune 500 companies. I want your insights on our financial product process. And, you know, early on, maybe not can't can't wrestle them to be on your team. But oftentimes if you get to a flow and they've watched your business grow, I mean, well, I'm sure you've heard these stories too. Investors or board members will sometimes join your team. Like literally as an employee and team member because they're so they believe in the vision too there, there's been accelerator funds that you know investors from the fund have joined their portfolio companies as a team member so the, the help is out there yeah. you have to be willing to ask for it um, and also to give yourself more credit than you know than you normally do and that to your point you know we've had team members leave abruptly right or we've had team members that you, you put up with certain levels of crap because they do something really well. Then you realize that ends up being a toxic thing because other team members see it and they can't get past the crap. 100%. So you might know they bring something to the table that is hard to replace, but everyone else, is, all they're seeing is a, a team member that's not willing to show the same respect yeah. to the business that they are. Literally. And then that creates dissension,
1: right? Yeah. The most toxic employee is the high-performing asshole. Yep, because you got Because yeah. if they're high-performing, the rest of the team usually likes to gravitate towards them and, their behaviors, and they have such a magnetic pull that it's like, yo, if you, if you don't kind of take key to that and, and mitigate it, it'll, it'll
0: go to cancer real quick. Right, right. And so, you know, again, the idea of building your team, you know, be willing to have conversations early with folks. Um, you know, you got yours. Yeah, what's up?
1: Yeah, I was just going to, I was sorry. I was just going to add one more <laughs> thing um, to this team building thing. The thing that I dreaded the most, that now I'm most grateful for, is we took time to create SOPs. Standard operating procedures, and I'm a creative guy. I love to just do the thing, yada yada yada. But honestly, we had a lot of pressure um, from an investor who I thank God for because he was like, "Yo, show me how you do what you do, mm-hmm. right?" And and literally challenged us was like, "How do you throw an event?" And I'm like, "Bro, we throwing two thousand events. We know how to do events." But he was like, "Show me on a on a drawing." Yeah. And like the fact that now. <laughs> We have these a, a year or two years ago we didn't. It's almost silly, but like every single thing you do should be drawn out in a diagram. And it's so dummy proof that if someone ever has to go, you can bring the next person in and train them effectively knowing this is what this looks like when done well. Here are the things to look out for. Here's when you know your role ends and the next department you yeah. know, steps in. All that stuff is so helpful. Instead of saying, okay, when this person leaves, they take all their knowledge and their experience from doing this for so long. And it goes out the door with them and other person starts from zero. Right. right.
0: Like the process, right. That's what we're getting at. You have have to have that process in place. And I mean so much so that when, when the person leaves that's the knucklehead or that is the the pain point, part of the process of offboarding someone is they have to then like highlight their insights to someone else who's taking over their position or someone else who's a holdover for now in that regard. Like that's how clear clear your process has to be that, you know, and it's not always going to end that way. You know, sometimes people, it ends abruptly and it's not so smooth. Um, but in, in that regard, you, to me, I, I've never been surprised at someone leaving. Mm. There, there are always signs that yeah. either we have to correct this or you're not going to be here that long. And, and you know, I'll, I'll say I've been blessed in that when those moments have come, usually the person leave before I have to say you're fired. <laughs> right because that saves a lot of heartache that saves, that saves a tough conversation because sometimes you're like man, I't do feel like having to do this right now. Yeah. And but, but the thing is you know again, still being willing to have that conversation, still being able to you know understand and, and be watching things as they happen, you, you you as a founder as best as you can have got to be two, three, four, five steps ahead of everyone else. Um, and that just comes with, like you said, you're doing 2000 events, right? So that means that there's almost nothing that can happen in an event that you that you go, Oh my God, I don't know what's going on. Right. You've seen it all. So yeah. when, when certain things go astray or go awry, you're like, Yo, Oh, relax, relax, calm down everybody. body. Like take a deep breath. Oosa, as Martin Lawrence mm-hmm. would say, you know, and, <laughs> and let's figure this out. Right. So, uh, you know, believe in yourself, trust yourself in that instinct as well. And when you see things are a little bit off, prepare, like that's, that's all you can do and have those real conversations as well. Um, I want to touch on financing, you know, like you mentioned you guys raised over three and a half mil to the business. In the beginning, I'm sure you didn't have three and a half mil, right? So how how are you financing the business in those early days? Um, mm-hmm. and and what story were you then showing, not just telling, but showing to mm-hmm. then support why you guys were, were then ready to get three and a half million. And if I'm being honest, you know, outside looking in, you know, we, we have a lot of peers in this space being entrepreneurs. To be honest, especially to my fellow black entrepreneurs, a lot of us should probably be at 15 million raised by now, 40 million raised by now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, but that's not just a racing too. I'll acknowledge that sometimes it's also like a cultural thing in terms of location as well. Cause, like, I, in my experience with Philly, Philly investors, it's not always been so positive. Like, I've, and it's not necessarily, I won't even put all the onus on them, right? Like, if I've made my money a certain way or if I'm only investing in biotech or pharmaceuticals, and I don't know nothing else. Pattern matching. Pattern matching, right? <laughs> right. So, so my thing is, don't be mad if someone has to leave the city to get the money. Because I've looked at, you know, looked at Venmo and what they did and moved to New York to get the money. Then, mm-hmm. and then they sold the PayPal. Looked at Warby Parker, right? And I've mm-hmm. challenged Philly investors to, to be more expansive in thought. It's a city where the first computer was ever built. Like the innovations in the blood of that city all through. So, you know, so I, I just want to highlight there can be many reasons why fi- coming across financing is not easy. Pitching rec five years ago, I'm sorry in Philly, and asking for money. Investors looking like, "What are you talking about?" You know what I mean? Even though this is the city of the Roots and Jill Scott and all these amazing artists, right? Yep. So, so talk to us, man. How financing? Yeah. How did you think through it? How were yeah. the early days?
1: Yeah, you got it. Yeah. So first, just I want to just commend your your audience of folks here, man. I see so many just brilliant questions coming through, and I love the engagement. That's super awesome, and a testament to the platform you guys have built here um so the way we think about financing um so for context when we raised our our seed round was the first time Dave or I ever did a raise right so there was no like prior rolodex of all these people you know there was no knowledge base of like oh this is how you raise a round it was a lot of YouTube university and just figuring it out um so in the early days I'll start there it literally started. Our whole company started off of personal investment from Dave and I. Literally, we, you know, we were just coming from another business. We ran a production company called Broad Street Music Group, where we just threw shows, right, and, and created content. And that's where we got the opportunity to learn the real problem we were facing, and then build the new model. Um, but we had made money throwing shows, and at the time when we founded Rec, we both still had full time jobs, right? So it was about, you know, burning the midnight oil after the full time. And using that money as our first investors, right, mm-hmm. uh, from our salaries. So it started off. I think we put like ten grand into the bank account. I was like, all right, real company, let's go. <laughs> um, and honestly, it was just a bunch of reinvesting that money back into the company, throwing shows, making money, keep it going. Um, and then that's what allowed us to finally get a lease at our first space in North Philly, right? Super tiny, and we were just bootstrapping by every sense of the word, like. Right. I'm so proud of our space now, because when I look back at our old space, I'm like, yeah, man, we were duct taping things in the wall. Like, Did you guys
0: get the Amazon picture? Like the, the Jeff Basil's classic photo? You got some I, of those? I got a few of those, bro. And, it, and it's great. But and I, and I think that is so important. Like,
1: I wouldn't change the way we built for the world, because that's where we get all the great insights. Like, that's where you know, if you really are solving a need, like. Are people willing to walk up four flights of stairs with no heat and no AC to get your product, right? Right. Like, that's when you know, right? That's real. Um, So that helped a lot for us. So it was just, you know, four, four and a half years of just complete bootstrapping. Um, And then we got to the point where we knew that we needed to make a big leap, where we had already had 450, almost 500 active members at this warehouse No climate control. We're bringing industry people to literally the middle of the hood to give these talks and people were coming out We're filling the room We were like, okay, what does the next phase of this look like? How much capital will that take and how long would it take us going the way we're going to get to that space and we just didn't feel like The slow road was our best interest. It had our best interests at that point it was like, we need to do this bigger, and, and we do need to move quickly, because I believe that people would start to wake up and understand the importance of our model finally, and we wanted to stay on the forefront of that. Um, so here's what story te- here's what fundraising looked like for us for the first time. Um, it came down to storytelling, again, which I think is super important. And the formula of the story, in my opinion, was like this. It was first, what problem are we solving get super clear and articulate on that. Two, who are you and why are you the best person in the world to solve the problem? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Three, prove the traction that you already have in solving that problem. And also showing them what the world looks like when the problem is solved. Mm -hmm. And then finally, what do you need from that person on the other side of the table to get it done?
0: Right.
1: And then Put a bow on it by telling them what their actual like payout
0: right looks like (laughs) well but but one one thing i want to press you on though is so you talk about the idea of a problem right first and foremost you know you you guys aren't solving one problem right like in reality there's an economic problem you're solving with creatives getting paid what they're supposed to get paid so the learning of business business literacy but then there's also like what then is the the production of you know a an event where people at home like in in the situation with me tuning into those episodes before it's I'm watching and receiving information myself but I wouldn't I'm not necessarily a member signed up and paid in the ecosystem so how not did you, how did you t- right not yet fair <laughs> enough fair enough right how did you how did you articulate two problems or multiple problems at one time and and make it in a way where the investor on the other side of the table was like you're not biting off more than you can chew i see how these all tie together
1: yeah so so i think the 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 problems all Mm. need to have a north star rooted problem right And, and i think for us it was really this idea that of all the things happening in the world we know the importance of accelerating businesses and this and that artists still were not being invested in as the economic engines that we know that they are, right? And that was being proven by just the lack of resources they had access to, the lack of information that was being tailored specifically to educating artists and creating smarter artists, and just the, the lack of community resources developed with the artist in mind. So yeah. it was all about that, right? We were just like, yo, our vision, right? It, it, we almost like framed it as a question. What does the world look like when you give an artist access to all of those things, mm. right? not kind of helped to start getting people to understand but honestly i have to say this too in the beginning we felt like first 40 pitch meetings were falling on deaf ears because i was trying to convince people of the economic viability of an artist Mm, okay and then through that i realized i was going in the wrong rooms
0: Mm.
1: yeah that's real yeah because because there's that dichotomy you keep hearing no and then you start wanting to switch it up switch it up switch it up you can realize either you can switch out what you're doing or you can switch up who you're pitching to. Unfortunately mm-hmm. for us, we started to do the latter and um, got our first yes, who literally was an investor in a business who had just got sold. And he was, um, it, was a, it was a food startup. Basically, he was empowering local chefs to be able to um, scale up their business. Think of it, about it like Grubhub for local chefs. Gotcha. So, literally, he was already empowering creative entrepreneurs. So, when we came in and said, yo, we're empowering creative entrepreneurs, there was no guesswork there to be done. Right. You know, got it, said, yo, duh. And then that was our first investor, which gave us a lot of leverage for others. Um, but, yeah, so that was the story we told, man. Um, and the, the journey was rocky, bro. like, mm-hmm. resilience of being able to hear no 60 times in a row and not lose enthusiasm, like...
0: I don't know if anything
1: really prepares you for
0: that, you know? Well people people think it's like this uh this story that every entrepreneur wants to tell. I think reality is, yeah, I mean we all wanna we all wanna go through some level of strife so we can say we arrived in the other end, you know, bigger, badder and stronger. But I think if we all could chew, we would just kinda cakewalk <laughs> to the victory. Um but, you know, someone asked in here, like, what was the third step of storytelling? Did they miss that? And mm-hmm. I'm not sure what, what the steps they're referring to are, but I will say that the last step to storytelling is what you just said, Will. It's, are you talking to the right people? Because you can, you can pitch people to your blue in the face. Mm-hmm. And if they if they're, are thinking a certain way or pattern matching or whatever the case is, or just are not musically inclined, not creatively inclined, or don't get the connection, yeah. they will all say no. Yeah. But, you know, you start pitching, you know, pr- hopefully the right people and, and all of a sudden you start hearing some, some different energy and hopefully yeah. then a yes. Um, and, you know, one of the things you talked about as well is in the beginning, you know, realize a lot of folks at home that are, are, are working their full-time jobs right now, the money's going to come from you. Like, I get questions all the time, like, hey, like, I have this idea, like, when should I start raising money? Or should I start, should I start pitching people? I'm like, pitching who? Like, you, yeah. you, you got you to gotta create something on your own. Like, how much skin in the game do you have? You know, because that proves your viability to, or your, your, your validity in terms of uh, wanting it to see it succeed. And,
1: and it goes back to that example. They say, like, if your car breaks down, don't just get out and wait for someone to help. Get out and push. Right. people are so much more likely to want to help something already in motion. So, like, when you think about, like, going to investors, the story should never be, I have this idea. I want you to invest in it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm already doing this work. Here's our impact. And then help right. tell the story of your investment, you know, times what we're already been doing,
0: times our reputation can become the impact. I think that's Mm -hmm. super important. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, So with that, I want to talk about the idea of determining the right business model, right? So you you go from, you know, let's say in the beginning, you have no money in the bank or you have a little bit and you're trying to figure out how can I then make some income to move forward? One thing I'll point out too is that I think there's a... um, there's misinformation in the tech world or the world we live in today a lot um, around this idea that everyone just raises capital with an idea on a napkin and can go off and become Facebook. That's just not reality. Like, like no, you know what oh, I mean? Yes. I just, I, I, if there's one thing I wanna unpack tonight and make sure I leave dead on the side of the road, it's that idea, right? Like you have to put in the work. Um, and now more than ever, like, you know, series series seed, so seed funding firms, are looking for 500000 in trailing revenue the last 12 months, a million dollars in trailing revenue last 12 months. So so I, I just want you guys to have that concept in mind because angel investors, meaning just human beings that are accredited, that have means of over $200,000 a year in income, over a million dollars in net, net worth, they can invest because they, they like you, you know, and that's still hard unto itself. But when you're talking about in, any kind of institutional capital, there are rubrics that they're following, there are theses that they're following to guide their decision-making process Some of which will end up making them miss out on the next Facebook, but often a lot of them are just what they follow because they have to tell their limited partners who put the money in how they're gonna spend their money, right? Mm -hmm. So, or invest their money. So I just wanna highlight on that. So now in the idea of the right business model, um, we both touched on things that are not necessarily always scalable in the beginning, but you can do them because it can generate income. Um, You know, I I wanna touch on how you know what's the right thing to do in that space of time. And also, too, what are you aspiring for? And, and Will, you guys heard earlier say something along the lines of, like, you want to create a process, right? Like, you bring the thing into the process, it gets done and spit out. And, you know, at WYL, we say, like, we want, we want something where we can take it on one end, throw it in some machine. The machine does all the work. It spits out the, out, the output. Right. Yep. And so, similarly here, like, that's, that's what we call a repeatable, a scalable business model. Think of subscription businesses. Yeah. You get enough people to subscribe to your business on a month to month basis. And now you're making millions of dollars and you're just, now you're, you're focusing on churns so of who you're losing every month or percentage of people yeah. you're losing every month. And also you're focused on your, 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 your monthly recurring revenue. How are you growing? What's the percentage every single month, month over month growth. Yeah. Um, when you're able to, to really boil it down into a process, you have a scalable repeatable business model. Yep. Um, so for you, Will, like, how did you guys land on the, the subscription membership model? And, and, and throw you know what? Th- throw out some ideas. It's just things you guys thought about earlier that maybe didn't work, or you were like, that yeah. would never work, right? Like, what, what are some of the
1: ideas? In our early yeah. Days? So I mean, yester, yester, yester year, we were like, yo, let's build a really dope record label. And then we really did all the research. And we're like, we don't want to run a label. Absolutely <laughs> not um but that was like a model right and, and the only reason we knew we didn't want to do it is because we we put the model to the test and we realized that that just wasn't the business yeah. um then that that took other shapes and it was almost just like this network right everything was about the community and galvanizing and organizing but it was purely just off the idea of like a member member network right yeah. physical space wasn't really a key part of it um and in the beginning you know we got decent feedback on that but it just wasn't tangible enough right? Right. And for me, it got down to the point where I had to really think about it. And it was just like, why is the network important? And it was because I felt like everything was so scattered in Philadelphia, there was no real like centralization. Um, And then just knowing that creators needed real tools, and there was no place for us, we knew that the physical space was going to be important. Um, So for us, it was just exploring, man, and again, talking to people, we started our business off of focus groups. Like we had the idea and then we just went to the people that we knew that were our target audience. We asked a bunch of questions, you know, and, and, you know, it just helped us to really just stay on the right track. Cause I think we would have been so self-serving if we thought that we had it all figured out. Um, and then after that, it's all about like reminding yourself that like the model's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like you have to throw that out of your mind and just go start doing it. And then two things are going to happen. You're going to learn and, and things are going to grow organically it's going to be broken and you're going to see where the holes are and you can start to fix them so you know one of the things early on as rec doing the thing subscription service we were like you know what all of our members need to be better marketers let's do uh let's have a part of our agency actually do services for our members that are artists Mm Really quickly, we realized that's not going to work. Six months in, you know, we had all these projects we were backed up on. We do a project for an artist; they'd still need us at the end of it because they didn't actually learn the how. They just had us do it. Yeah, it like this isn't it. This isn't a yeah. fish, you know. And um, also, like the yeah, it, it just didn't make sense. So we had to do it to learn that it, it wouldn't work. Um, and then we just kind of kept tweaking and tweaking until we found what we have right now, which. We believe is very close to the sweet spot
0: yeah yeah um, and you know remember with all this stuff too folks like you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel right like you can you can go online and research com- uh, competitors go online and research other platforms and see how are they charging people how are they making their money how did they grow to be a multi-million dollar business or billion dollar business um and then to just talk to people i mean for us with you know we're a review pl- review platform when it came to the questions we were asking in our review process you know we interviewed 100 residents across philly and new york city and we worked with interns on it so we were, uh, myself I, I was out in the community with them asking residents what are the questions they actually cared about then we interviewed 50 landlords and property managers and asked them questions as well like because the reality is for landlords and property managers they also have been renters at, at some point in their life oftentimes and, or they had kids that were currently renting. So they knew these questions were valid and then they gave mm-hmm. us more insight as to what other ventures they have asked about to them before. So, you know, focus groups, asking questions, getting out and asking people, you know, how, what are ways your business can be more valuable to them is so key. And I want to highlight too, at any stage of your business, you have to be very valuable to somebody it's not always going to be your end customer. Right. And, and, I, you know, I'll, I'll highlight a point with Rack that I think makes sense, but also you can push back if it doesn't make too much sense too, because it might be kind of tied together, but like for you guys, knowing that you had, you know, a tap into local artists and, and what you ever do on the creative agency side, you guys were able to then create a lot of partnership with the city, right. With city organizations and whatnot. And so I don't know where you guys were artist-wise at that point in time, yeah. but the city for sure said, oh, we need those guys. We need yeah. them doing yeah. something in the artistic space so that yeah. we have a tap into what's going on. Yeah. And so whether it's, you got it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and specifically uh,
1: the business community in the city, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because for us, you know, our caveat of our business is we also had this dual-sided model, right? Where, like, we wanted to be valuable to artists, like, full stop. That's the big goal. But if we also wanted to make sure we could serve them well, we knew that artists needed opportunities mm-hmm. and paid ones. And it wasn't always going to come from other artists. So we said, yo, all right, let's go make sure that we can go in and put our foot in the business community because they need talent for, you know, holiday parties and they, <laughs> they want to throw concerts and, and things like that. And being able to submit, like solidify ourselves there and remove their pain points, which was we can never find the right talent when we need them we don't know how to communicate effectively with the talent or they're always late and they're not professional we knew that we could solve all that right mm-hmm. um, and then that made our product of the incubator more valuable because folks started to say you know they're tapped in I've seen people get gigs through rec mm-hmm. right I've, I've seen people learn and grow and, and things like that so both sides became more valuable to each other and now we're at that space
0: where we can keep building on both both avenues Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is a flywheel, right? Like when you can make everyone in an ecosystem need you in some way, that, that kind of stickiness, that glue makes your business, gives it the potential to be a billion dollar business because, and once you prove you can do it in one location, then you can repeat it in others. And I imagine that's probably why you're called Rec versus Rec Philly because it's not just Philly. You guys can now do this in other places. You know what I mean? We've seen it happen with the creative collective, NYC. Now I think there's the creative collective, right? Like you start in one location, you do it really, really well. You penetrate that market and then you repeat it. So that that ties us to this this question here about building an audience, right? Yeah. How did you earn the – first of all, how did you you even get – Artists to take you seriously in Philly and beyond. Artists, how did you get people to take you seriously? Yeah. And then, and then, as you as they did take you serious seriously, how did you make sure they were still plugged in to keep growing? So the community was not ephemeral—people coming today and leaving tomorrow—but like they would come today. And I want to see what's happening tomorrow and stick around.
1: Yeah. yeah, this is a great question, and I saw someone in the chat ask something about this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, man, just start small. You know, and and again, the same way I I mentioned Dave and I were building our team first, we had to be it. Right. So I'm really blessed in the sense that, you know, I am our market, you know, to a certain extent. Like I I was the young videographer running around the city, trying to manage some musicians and not knowing what to do or where to go. Um, So that gave me a level of insight. I knew what we needed. Right. So as we started throwing our events, you know, some of our early events were only 30 people at a dive bar right? But doing that and trying to be as professional as we could with that, we built trust. Uh, This whole thing about business and sales is all about a trust game. Can people trust you? And the one tip I'd give to anyone who's building a business or building a brand, take this idea of the word brand and just throw it out the window. (laughs) And anytime you want to say brand, just say reputation. Mm. Right? Because then you start to realize how simple this whole thing is. Yeah. What do people know you for, right? When people think about you, what do they say? So when it comes down to that, I realized the most important word for us in building our audience was consistency. And when I say consistency, I don't mean in the sense of time, right? Every single day, am I doing the same things over and over? No, it's every way in which we communicate, which is all sorts of different ways. Are we saying the same thing? right? So is, if if I was a musician, are my lyrics saying the same thing that you get from me when you see the way I'm dressed, right? Mm -hmm. The way I'm engaging with people on the internet, going back and forth, is that still true to who I am and the reputation I want to build? So for us, we said we're going to be valuable to creators. We're always going to be a resource for them. We're always going to be, you know, providing education. So do we do that in every which way we can, right? So if I go on Rex Instagram, am I going to see some resources? You better, right? Am I going to see... Faces of the community and and cool things people are doing, you better, you know? And are we gonna be talking about strategies? We better. So that's kinda how it came down for us. And then the reality is, as humans, we are social creatures. So if we care, we will share. So for us, instead of always thinking about how do we grow the audience, how do we grow and get new customers, it's how do we be as valuable as we can to the people who already trust us, knowing that if we do it right, they will make sure it's their mission to make
0: sure other people who need us know that we exist right so that's the recipe and and to be honest (laughs) for folks you know tuning in like this is where you have to be so mindful of your industry right like rec philly does a great job or rec does a great job of providing information that is very very culturally on point that's that's very very astute in terms of helping you as an artist but also too is just like what is, what's happening right now? Like, and I love a lot of the Philly connections, right? Like highlighting certain things, sometimes only Philly residents will get, but they'll get it to the tune of several hundred or thousands of likes because culturally they connect to that. Um, and in your in your industry specific, we're in housing. So we might not have the big following, but what we do have is we're the coolest thing you've seen in housing ever because everything is so boring. right so you have to know your space and how you can be productive and impactful in it and you know that's why we have a podcast like we realized housing housing at the crux of it was like this deep sense of community like our home is one home within many homes that make our community. so we wanted to bring truth to power and knowledge out into the world and we realized you know within our reputation it's how do you inform people how do you empower people and you often do that with information um so what we'll do here, just for the this, you know, presence of time too, um, we have uh, 11 questions in our Q&A. We're gonna do a quick rapid fire for five of these questions. Then we're gonna keep flowing, and then before we wrap out, I promise everybody we're gonna get your question answered too with another round of rapid fire. Okay. Um, so spend no more than I'd say 45 seconds to answer okay. these questions. You'll go, I'll go, we'll keep it I going. Like to, I five. like to run my mouth, so you gotta give me the time. The time I, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so first question, I'm gonna throw it to you first, Will. Um, what yeah. tools do you recommend uh, that you that people use when starting their business? with tools um, Very general, but you know I think maybe maybe some software tools things that you can use on it so I think you should be
1: collecting emails um, email marketing is going uh, slowly away but it's still here and it still is really really helpful so MailChimp or something of the sorts allow you to do that um, if you're really on the on the cutting edge I, I would encourage people to build audiences through SMS if you can build the trust to do that and there's platforms like Superphone that are really valuable that have been really helpful for us um, what else in the beginning, I say go straight organic with social posting. I don't really suggest people go right into trying to, you know, get those big tech tools to, like, schedule posts because I think you miss out on a lot of learning. But once you get to a point where it's not manageable for you, then you should start looking into Planoly or um, Buffer. Uh, Buffer, Unum, all those sorts of things. Um, and then what else? I think for your team, you got to invest. For me, it was important to get us off of email and onto some platform to help with
0: team communication. And for us, that's been Slack. Awesome. Those are some of the top of mind ones. Perfect, perfect. The next question, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, what are the most obvious signs someone is thinking of leaving? Um, sometimes they'll tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll say that first and foremost. Be willing to have that conversation. If you feel people are withdrawn, ask them, hey, what's yeah. up? Like, what's going on in life? You know, where can I be helpful? Or where can I step back? Whatever the case is. Um, but I think some of the signs you look for are, are they engaged in team calls? Are they responding to emails in a quick fashion? Are they getting progressively slower and slower and engaging? Do they seem to not care about things anymore or even the quality of their work? Um, And sometimes it's it's worth asking at times, hey, like, are you working somewhere else as well? Like, is your time spent? Make sure, you know, you're asking the right questions to get to know them as a person um, so that they, you know, so that you're aware. Um, Next question is for you, Will. How detailed is your SOP? Um, It's step by step.
1: That's for sure. Um, and it's very clear, like, you know, down to, yo, what does an event look like, right? And then we literally say, okay, cool. Who's ideating? Once it's finalized, who's doing outreach, you know, and then after outreach is done, what do we send to the, the participants? And once that's done, what does marketing start? And then what does marketing look like? Are we going to hit email? Are we going to hit text? Are we going to hit socials, right? And, and it literally goes all the way through to the end of the event where we then we're doing follow-ups with everyone who attended, et cetera. Um, I think it's important for it to be very detailed so it's clear because if someone can look at your SOP diagram and still have questions something's missing so we try to be clear enough that there's no questions there's always room for development and for hey can we improve on this but like you shouldn't be asking who does what or when questions it should be clear enough Mm -hmm. so you see that and someone asked what's SOP Mm -hmm. standard operating procedures so literally um, if I had to boil it all down every business is nothing more than a bunch of processes so what are those how do you do what you do that
0: makes it you awesome man the next question i'll take this one is how do you draw um how do you draw how do you throw an event like you actually draw with stickmen? Um, you know, I, you know, I'm going to, I'll actually, to, to you, that's what I'll say. I'm not sure what this, the, the second part means in terms of draw with stick men, but what I will say is, how do you, how do you draw for an event, Will? I mean, you've done this 2,000 plus times. Yeah. Uh, my, my experience is not nearly to that level. So, <laughs> I, so you, you take it away. Break down question, your SOP a little bit. Is the question, how do you get people to the event? That's what I gather. How do
1: you draw people to the event? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it starts with like, is the experience valuable? Right. And uh, what we do now, because we've thrown so many events and people in our team always suggest events, and we even get to the point where members can suggest events that we'll throw, we give it the really technical test called who gives a shit. (laughs) (laughs) And it always boils down to like, okay, but who cares? And then once you can get it down to that simple, we say, okay, why do they care? Cool. Here are our marketing points, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like what's special about the event. And then after that, it's who cares and then where are those people hanging out and we go to them with the messaging Uh, Mm -hmm. posting a flyer on instagram is not going to work posting a flyer on instagram five times every day definitely not going to work so it's about literally being able to find where those folks are meeting them there and giving them those personal invites making them feel special and always knowing before i invite someone here i should already know why they give a shit about what i'm
0: talking about if you don't then you, you didn't do enough research Got you. Okay, okay. Got you. So Amanda's saying um, you had mentioned earlier the idea of drawing from an angel investor, like, like oh oh, okay. draw. Okay, got it. Draw got for it. me. Okay. Okay. So, got you. Yeah. So so <laughs> literally, uh, my SOPs
1: they're not just like lists of steps. They've now literally it's it's a it's a um, it's a PowerPoint, and literally every department has a PowerPoint that shows literally what are all the processes. And they're all like journeys, like for anyone who's on here, entrepreneur, the hero's journey is should be your best friend. And it's seemingly not always related to business building, but it's for humans. So we all go on some journey to accomplish something. So like, literally, we have one for membership. What does it look like for someone to go from they've never heard of us to they're the best member ever, and they're referring other members? There's, there's about 12 steps. And I literally draw them out same thing for the events and I kind of uh, highlighted that a little bit but literally from ideation of the event to when people get home from the event what communication is happening that all should be step-by-step and literally like it's blocks of text right but then also you can put some visual cues just because I'm a visual learner
0: so there might be some <laughs> in it. Nah, now perfect perfect uh, so next question I'll take this one um, and then we'll move on with our flow right here but it's sometimes you know um sometimes the arguments on a decision, okay, sometimes the arguments on a decision make the decision, or the decision, I guess, ends up in one person's favor. Um, But the other person can become insecure in that process and do weird things. How should I deal with this as a leader or in a leading position? Um, You know, I I will say this, I think leading millennials and Gen Z is, is very, very hard um because we've all grown up with tech at this point and everyone thinks they're the smartest person in the room and everyone has ideas and everyone's been doing this for x amount of years and so you're going to constantly clash with pride ego personality is just it's par for the course I think the first thing you can do is humble thyself um and realize in moments you know when someone does feel slighted you know Put, can you put yourself in their shoes? Would Would you feel slighted if you were them? Um, and because you have to delineate what are moments where people should just get over it, because because sometimes like tough love is real, right? You got to just like power through. And what are times where it's like, uh, if you add this up enough times, they're not going to get over it. It's going to become resentment. It's going to become pain. Going to become um, insecurities that manifest themselves, as you mentioned, in, into what weird stuff happening with your organization. So. Um, I, the key thing I would say is in dealing with that is tell your team, like yo, my, and you have to live it to, for it to be real, but I'm always going to be forthcoming with you as best I can. I'm always going um, to be, I'm going to work as hard as I can all the time as best I can. Um, and when I miss the mark, I will tell you as best I can. Um, and the reason why I throw that caveat best I can in there is because none of us are perfect we're all going to make mistakes. That's just the reality of it. But when you allow your team to understand, like, we're, it's okay to make mistakes as long as we're not repeating them and not learning from them, then all of a sudden when you have these conversations, it's less that you're trying to undercut me or, or, or make me feel insecure. It's every decision being made is for the betterment of the business. But like, you actually have to move that way. If people get wind that, you know, Hey, you're moving in a certain way to pad your own pockets. Mm-hmm. don't like that and people will either call you out on it or they'll do weird things and then leave so your your job has to be operate with the utmost clarity that you possibly can i think i'm way over 45 seconds at this point but (laughs) be mindful of that and i think the way you show up is how most most people will show up back to you and when people there isn't that exchange you got to let them go that's that's genuinely what you got to do um so to fly back into here, you know, and we have a few more topics for you guys. Just want to make sure we touch them before we then close out on another rapid fire session. I think we got, what, what are we looking at? We're looking at six questions left. Perfect. So, um, so will the next topic I have here is digital community building tools. we touched on a few of them. Um, and, and you mentioned a few of the social media tools as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to learn and unpack for people at home. What are, what, are, what are other tools you use to continue the growth of your community, right? Are you using MailChimp for email blasts and campaigns? Um, yep. You know, what are, what are some of the things you guys are using at REC?
1: Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll say what we're using now, and then I'll back it off and say what we were using
0: two years ago. Perfect,
1: perfect, perfect. Uh, right now we're using HubSpot, um, which is, you know, enterprise level, you know, marketing tool, which is super <laughs> helpful for us. Um, cause we got to the point where we wanted to connect our journey between sales all the way to like conversion, but then also like, I want to know who's engaging like in real time in our membership because it gives us so much data, right? If members aren't opening on any of our emails, they're not going onto the app. You need to know that, right? So that way we can step in. Uh, so we use HubSpot, but that's also super robust and sometimes overkill for what folks need. Um, so before that it was MailChimp, which is super simple. It was Superphone, um, which was Incredibly powerful. I can't stress enough, um, you know, just to drive it home for folks like email open rates. If you do a really great email campaign and like 18% of people open your email, you killed it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, text messages, they say something like everyone responds to a text message uh, within 30 seconds, I think for like 98% of the texts they receive or something like that. So that is not me
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is not you i am like and, uh, one of the world's worst texters just putting it out there for folks that don't care wait. i won't <laughs> i won't text you then
1: um, but but it, it's just like realistically so much more of an engaging place um you know and then also i like unum personally unum is one of those accounts that allow one of those platforms that allows you to schedule posts it gives you a bunch of data on the back end a little bit more intensive than what instagram organically gives Talking about best times to post, talking about best performing hashtags and things like that. But again, all of these platforms are really just to start to optimize what you're doing from an automation standpoint, and just give you ins- give you insights um, that you wouldn't get otherwise. And I will spell Unum
0: because it's tough. Perfect. Boom. There it is. Unum. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, t- tools are your best friend. I mean, yeah. Can I can I give you one more? Yeah. Of course.
1: Yo. This one isn't going to sound like it makes sense here, but one of the best tools, merchandise. Like people just don't think about like what you're doing when you're giving away stickers and t-shirts has nothing really to do with the sticker and the t-shirt. It's people are wearing those things usually, right? Like you don't buy a Gucci belt because you need a belt. These things are things that people are using to identify and communicate who they are to the world, right? Who believes in what? And when you can empower someone to show that they believe in your company by giving them a t-shirt, it's going to be one of the best organic ways to build community because now in passing, you know, hey, I see that guy's got a red shirt. Who are you? you? You believe something I believe. You know someone I know,
0: right? And it, it builds that camaraderie, which I think is what community no, that's that's super real. Like you, you have to wear. wear I won't say brand. I'll say reputation. You got to wear your reputation on you at all times because people have to know what you're about. So again, you know, we've had investors ask us like, why do you guys have merch? And I'm like, cause man, cause people fuck with us, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but you need you need to put the word out there, right? About what 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 are the core tenets of of your your brand, like your reputation. Ours for us is like empowering and informing. So we have a shirt that says empowering and informing my community, right? So everyone knows when you see that WIL logo, that is always the goal that we're setting out to do. Um, and that's what we're all about, right? So the messaging of your your business is so important to capture in merchandise format. I'd agree with that. Um, so you know we, we we touched on this in a little bit of a way but keeping how do you keep artists and community members engaged virtually you know in that transition that you guys have now been part of and and, and it won't be forever right but I will I will say a lot of the technolo- technological um, integrations you guys have done will be will be forever because yes. you know you always want people to be able to log in virtually at some point and and, and log in and get those numbers as well so from your vantage point you know How are you keeping artists and your your rec community engaged virtually through everything happening? For us, it's been about this balance of um, consistency, but
1: also nuance, right? So, for example, you know, we throw about almost 20 events per month um, right now, all digital. So for us, having the consistency of folks knowing, hey, on the second Wednesday of the month, this is what we do, that is so powerful to just become a part of someone's like daily life to a certain extent, right? Like for example, if you follow anyone on YouTube, most of the biggest YouTubers are like, every Friday, new video. Why? Because that's teaching the behavior of your community to be ready for that thing at that time. So people start planning their days, like every Sunday I watch Insecure, that's just what I do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that consistency is important, Uh, just showing up for people and building that trust of if I show up, you'll show up. but then also the listening for me, man. And I know I've said this a few times, but, you know, at the end of our events, you know, we'll go to our, our, our members who are showing up and we send them surveys say, yo, what did you like? What did not you, what would you like to see? So that way we can provide that nuance to say relevant in the moment. Um, you know, for example, one of the best events we've done recently is an event we did called Brave Space, which was literally just an open Zoom call for us to just talk about what we were all experiencing during the protests and all that kind of stuff. And that literally only came because we were talking to members and we were like, yo, do you have somewhere like where you can just get some of this stuff off? Like where you have a forum where you feel safe enough to just really talk about what's going on. Um, so then we just popped it up out of nowhere and it was amazing. So that balance of consistency. So people know when to, to step in and, and be there, but also the nuance of listening and then adapting to the times.
0: Yeah, no, that's real. Um, And I'm, I'm going to use that opportunity to plug something too, because you know, either go to brave spaces thrown by rec um or go to both um or you know every on every other friday um we have a cocktail hour by thrown by our nonprofit called bill which is belief in us increases live dignity and the idea there is that you know we all have that strong friend and we often say like who is there who do they lean on like who pours back into the strong friend um and so we we bring together community leaders and that and, and that's whoever would define themselves as such, right? Yeah. Into a space where people can share real things about what they're feeling, what they're going through. Because you, we, will, we will always create that community of brave people around you to share, right? So um, we're doing it tomorrow night. I, I throw that out there as a plug. Um, you can go to our, our podcast is in the top right corner there. or I'm sorry, our handle for social is in the top right corner there. If you go to WYL Community, you will see the post. Um, but you can join us. We do it on Zoom every other Friday people just have a good time and rock out and you used to be a dinner series actually right in this living room behind me um but covid right so right um so i'd highlight that as well um but again you know yeah keeping people engaged is is the name of the game and, and making people understand that you know showing up consistently is what you're about that's also how you build trust amongst your community. And even why, I mean, every Thursday for four straight Thursdays, we've done this with General Assembly. So we've built trust with people that are at home because they know that Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30, they can get some real stuff from some real people. So I wanna highlight that. Um, we'll, we'll hit on this topic. What we'll do is kind of flow through the next few topics. And then, you know, we got we got uh, 10 minutes left for six questions. So I wanna make sure we hit them for everybody at home so they feel yeah. that they got what they came for. So um, quick point is, you know, how do, you, how do you look at the idea of sharing resources around the community yeah. that you've built?
1: So important. Um, you know, we kind of build our positioning as you know, the folks who are gonna curate great resources and, or provide them when we can. Um, but I'm learning that what a community really is all about is the people, right, and the resources of each person. Um, so one of the things I just started doing at our events is creating space for like, um, and people to give and ask at the end of the event right so literally opening and say hey members what are you working on and what could the community do for you right now right just to break the ice of people not feeling like they can and so many incredible collaborations have come in from just having people ask because other folks are like oh i'd love to buy your book or oh i know someone who owns this venue um so i'm I'm really bullish on this i think we're all better off when we can you know share and i'm a big collective economics kind of guy so i think this is the way to go and as leaders, we just get to create
0: the space for it to happen. Yeah. And I mean, historically, people have thought, you know, hoard information that's yours that makes you special. The reality is, like, you, you got to give it away, right? Like, your, your job, and I've said this on the last call, I'll, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face and so I'm not here anymore. Like, I work as hard as I work so that mediocre Black people can win at high levels as well, right? Because, you know, for so long, that's only been reserved for white people. And I think that the reality is, it is incumbent upon all of us as leaders, whether you're white, black, yellow, brown, doesn't matter. You have to share, that's that's what that's what we do in community. We share resources so that we all rise the tide, we rise with the tide. Um, and so I, I just encourage people at home to realize, you actually, you get so much more, right? Like you get what you give. When you give to the world, you're gonna get from the world as well. That's been true since the beginning of time. And I think it'll be true till the end of it. Um, And then the idea of tapping into local resources. So these tie together really closely. Um, And I think you, what were you gonna say? Yeah, I was gonna keep it super short. I think sometimes uh,
1: early in the game, we don't do a good enough job at at just auditing our resources, Mm -hmm. right? Like resources we have, family, friends, but then just like, yo, did you know the library is doing these seminars for business Mm -hmm. plan development, things like that. Um, So I, I couldn't stress this one enough, just really do the work to do research of what's available.
0: Exactly. um, got you guys here, can you hear me, Will? Yep. What just happened? Hey, Will, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Again, let getting any audio. Oh, what just happened? Hello? Mm. okay that's weird uh will are you there man i think we just look are you guys not here so I, i appreciate the notes in the panel in the chat it's helping me out are people can people hear will or is it just me at this point i'm not hearing any audio uh, I think we lost Will. Well, you know what? We'll keep it flowing. Um I I'll, I'll fill in with information. Amanda's going to hop in and just take Will's spot. She's going to speak to what he all the knowledge he has, she has now in yeah, terms no, of it. Absolutely. <laughs> just from hearing this. No, I'll, I'll try to get Will
1: back on just to let you know.
0: Okay. Right awesome. Thanks thanks so much. Go ahead
1: and and keep on answering the Q&As. You've got so many questions, so many great questions to cover.
0: So many questions, so little time. So I'm going to make sure I rapid fire them for you guys. So um, I got a question from Kristen here. If you have a few ideas for businesses that you're working with, um, how do you hone down on one idea to go forward at, at, at first to start? We, we're, we're all going to have many different ideas and concepts in our mind. I think you can choose one of two paths. One is the path of least resistance, meaning whatever idea you think is easiest, and I, I can't stand that word, but smoothest or, or, or simplest to, to get done. Um, you can go that route and, and get it done first, learn all the things, and then apply it to the future business ideas. Or, like the way I'm built, you just kind of you just go for it, right? The, the idea that you resonate with most, the idea that you want to see fixed and figured out most. Um, and, and I, I, think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but a friend of mine once said, you know, he was asked by someone like, you know, Hey, your business doesn't really make much money. Like, why do you want that business still all these years later? And he was like, because I think it should exist in this world. So again, you know, realize, yeah, business, business is supposed to make money, but also you have to be passionate about it. So I would say put whatever one you're passionate, most passionate about first and go that way. Um, next question is from Jill. How do you work on making sure you don't feel alone when starting a creative business? Uh, networks, peer groups, um, your friends, you know, it's, it's so important that your friends um, are folks that are trying new things. They don't have to all be entrepreneurs, but they all have to be people who are, are, are very much into nerding out about things that maybe not, not everybody is comfortable acknowledging they nerd out too. And people who are always about change. Like I find most of my friends, um, aren't necessarily entrepreneurs as well, but they're all change agents in the spaces that they're in in life. And so surround yourself with people who are all about making change, making impact. Um, and that will help tremendously too um, when it comes to uh, you know not feeling lonely. Because I, I, I will admit, I, in this journey, I, I have yet to feel lonely. And that's not because I'm only, I, I, I can put you so many people going through what I'm going through. But I've surrounded myself with all kinds of friends that help me out and support me and family as well, so that I never have to feel alone in my, my journey. And also a big cathartic piece of this for me is I speak about my issues out loud as best as I can, things that I don't have to necessarily stay private. Because if I speak about them out loud, sometimes you understand, you hear out loud, you're like, wait, that's not that deep, actually. Or sometimes people can give you feedback and help you figure it out. So um, next question, and I see we've we're, we got Will joining back here. Dope, dope, dope. Um, we're, we're doing through, we're going through rapid fire. Let's see where we have a few minutes left here. Um, so I have you back. I'm going to throw this next question to you. Will. we got 45 <laughs> seconds. Maybe I'll say 30 seconds now actually to, to go through this. Right. Um, the question is how are you incorporating the future of search? For example, if, or when Alexa or Google's version replaces internet searches, if someone searches via voice tech, how, how will your message be there? So I guess, are you thinking about, um, any kind of uh, audio technology or AI? Yeah, or that,
1: that, that, that's a really good question. Uh, honestly, we're, we're not really deep in that yet. I do know it's on the horizon for us, uh, but the best thing that we're doing right now is just making sure that our SEO is good, like as good as it can be with all of the content we're creating on the video video front. So that way when it's time to venture into search, we know what our keywords are, we know, you know what's important to our audience um, and how they can find us. Yeah. But if anyone's got expertise there and want to share it, feel free to <laughs> let me <them> know.
0: <laughs> and I'll throw this next question to you as well. Cause I tackled the last two and I think you actually be perfect to answer this because you guys have had a session on this at rec. So, um, a Mitchell asks, it almost seems like we are being forced to utilize social media ads for promoting our business. Have mm. you guys used this strategy? And if so, how effective is it?
1: Um, yes, I think, yes, we're kind of being forced to pay to play for paid media advertising, um, but I believe that it's still incredibly underpriced. Uh, I think it's a good buy for anyone who understands their market. Social media advertising is terrible and, and not valuable if you don't actually know your are targeting. Um, so for us, we just started really getting aggressive about it, um, but only because we know how valuable it is. Just think about the traditional model, try to get in front of a bunch of people, but if it's not the right person at the right time with the right message, it's pointless. And social media allows us to really hone right in on who needs us and when they need us. And I think that's super smart to invest in.
0: And I've plugged Rack and Abu several times today. I'll do it again. Hop on YouTube, type in ABU, social media. That session is really, really great. It's maybe an hour, hour and a half long. It's Will and Abu going back and forth. Like you can learn a lot from that from that uh, episode or session. There, um, the next question is from Mackenzie. Does your community have a voice in community politics before COVID nineteen? What kinds of ideas were you able to successfully advocate? Um, wow! Yeah. so I'll take I'll take this one. I'll be quick about it. Um, Perfect. But I, I'm all about it. Yes.
1: Um, quick story. At the same exact time, the local government here was organizing to increase the police budget. They were also pushing to wipe out and zero out the arts and culture funding from the mayor's office. Um, And that was our first time saying, yo, we have to have a role here. So we were a part of a campaign, long story short, they overturned the idea to increase the police budget. And now they're starting the votes towards reallocating that. So collective group politics on a local level works. And
0: I actually want to position ourselves to be more influential in that space. Dope. And, I, and I'll, I'll tag along with that too. I mean, even for us, we're on the mayoral task force against eviction in Philadelphia and we're working on, I, I can't acknowledge this yet in terms of the city that it is, but we actually are in the midst of partnering with the city to get our technology in everybody's hands. So um, mm-hmm. you, it's all about, I mean, community and politics, they do tie together. Um, and so I definitely got to touch on that. Um, last but not least in our Q and know we got some questions in the chat. We won't get to all of them today, but feel free to reach out to us. We'll throw our information in there, but it's, yeah. Hey, I have good skills in video editing and social media post designs recently. I did a simple 2d animation I made gig off I made a gig off of that and got an order on the first day Um, While other gigs didn't get orders for more than six months. What should I do? Um, Learn animation or do do this or do the skills I already know so should I learn learn animation or should I do the skills? I already know that's the question um Oh, so there's there's kind of a lot there. Um, One,
1: if you you were able to get a client that quickly, I would go and ask that client as many questions as you could about why did they hire you? What were they looking for when they found you and things like that to give you insight on how to get to more people just like them. Um, I'm always like a little iffy to be like, yo, go learn a new skill from scratch right? But if it's already in your wheelhouse, you're already interested, then spend the time and what better time right now than when we're all at home in front of our computers all day. Um, But I think more important than learning the new skill, it's go find out what that person's pain points were. And then you can use SEO and paid media to get to more people who have those same pain points.
0: Agreed, agreed. I'm throwing some information in the in the slack in the slack. Here we go in the um, in the chat right now. Um, and will I encourage you to do the same? Um, what I will do is I'll flow through this real fast and then I'll close it out because I think you know I want to be respectful of everyone's time at home. Quick things are, WYL is now hiring for a full stack engineer, so uh, please do apply. I will say this this has worked. We've had an amazing, we had an amazing person we did an interview with like two days ago. So shout out to uh, Angelique who's out there listening, maybe listening, I don't know, but you know, she found us through here. So shout out to General Assembly as well on that. You can hit us up at Let's Talk at wyl.co. Review your landlords as well at wyl.co, That's the website. Um, and stay tuned for our app launch coming soon, uh, That is. That is coming within the next few weeks. So I will make sure I keep you guys all abreast of where that is. Um, you can subscribe to the W.Y.L. Tech Ownership Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, so make sure to do that. Our next series coming up is all about real estate and travel. Um, and what I will say is we're looking to do something similar again with General Assembly. As Amanda and I were talking about offline prior to, th- this has been great. You guys have been amazing at home. You've been engaged the whole time. You've told your friends and it's, it's worked. It's paid off because everyone's left with something, with some level of value. So um, again, Will, I want to thank you so much, man, for joining us today. We got yeah, Will man. Toms, co-founder and creative uh, officer of Rec. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to let you shout it out before you yeah. before you wrap up, and where can people find you?
1: Yeah, such a pleasure, man. Really appreciate the conversation. Um, please have me back again. I'll be more brief, I promise. Um, <laughs> and if you guys want to stay in touch, I dropped all my contact info in the chat um, at TheWillToms on social media and recfilly.com
0: for everything else. And oh. – uh, yeah, hit me up, y'all. We'll be happy to keep the conversation going. Dope, dope, dope. Um, and I just threw my information in there as well. Feel free to hit me up via email on social as well. I put my social in there. Um, but I threw WYL social in there, threw our podcast social in there. Just there's, there's so many ways to stay connected. Just make sure you do it. We love y'all and appreciate y'all again for WYL and Take Ownership Podcast. We're all about building together and most importantly, taking ownership of our mental, our economics, and our community. Thanks so much, Will, for kicking it with us. Take care, all right? Peace.